From Schwartz Media, I'm Elizabeth Kulas. This is 7am. Scott Morrison has put himself in a difficult position, calling the New South Wales Police Commissioner to check on an investigation into his own minister. Paul Bongiorno on the questions that now need to be answered. How are you, Paul? Uh, No, I'm good. Uh, Yeah, it's terrific. I think a bit weary at the end of a fairly long and eventful year. (laughs) Yes, and it's a sitting week, of course, next week and this week. Yes, it is. Final two sitting weeks for the year. There's always drama. In years gone by, we've been talking about leadership uh, (laughs) challenges. There's no talk of that just at the moment. Paul Bongiorno is a columnist for the Saturday paper. I have since spoken with the New South Wales Police Commissioner, Mick Fuller, about Uh, the instigation, the nature and substance of their inquiries, which he advised me were based only on the allegations referred by the Shadow Attorney-General. And based on the information provided to me by the Commissioner, I consider there is no action required by me under clauses 7... Members on my left. So, Paul, how significant is it that Scott Morrison called the New South Wales Police Commissioner this week over the investigation into Angus Taylor? Well, bluntly, Elizabeth, the significance is the Prime Minister of Australia, our most senior elected official, has been seen to be interfering in a police investigation into one of his ministers. This is the perception without a doubt Morrison has created, and his predecessor, Malcolm Turnbull, is gobsmacked. Well, it is always critically important that in any police inquiry, particularly something that involves a politician, that the police are and are seen to be acting entirely free of any political influence. Turnbull says he wouldn't have made the call and the record shows neither would have John Howard. In fact, John Howard had quite firm views on this. So in the view of his predecessors, this was a most unwise thing to do. In fact, it's one of the most brazen displays of flouting conventions of propriety. But Morrison was so brazen, he announced in the parliament he was going to ring the commissioner, then he rang him. So it's trashed any appearances of integrity with regards to the way the Prime Minister's handling this police investigation into his own cabinet minister, Angus Taylor. So with that all said, why on earth would the Prime Minister make such a phone call? Well, one view is that Morrison claimed previously that Fuller, the police commissioner, was one of his best mates. One of, two of my best friends, particularly Mick Fuller, who's actually from my area originally. Mick, he lives down in the Shire in Sydney. In a doorstop interview um, this week, the commissioner denied that claim point blank. He said he didn't have the PM's mobile number, he never socialised with him, and he only knew him professionally. He admitted they were once neighbours, but the commissioner says he was joking in another radio interview when he suggested Morrison used to bring in his bins on garbage night. Once upon a time, if the bins were left out and they hadn't been taken in by you, the bloke who's now the most powerful person in the country used to go and get the bins and and take them in. He doesn't do it anymore for you. Is that true? But he he was a treasurer at the time, and he did tell me recently that he's the Prime Minister now, and really that should be Josh Frydenberg's job. But he (laughs) he won't take my call, so... So the Commissioner's distancing of himself in this way is a clear indication he knows Morrison had put him into what looks like a compromised position. You have just been raised in a conversation with Mick Fuller. Yeah, good bloke. Because once upon a time when you were neighbours, you used to bring his bin in. When, when he'd leave the bin outside, the wheelie bin outside, 
you would collect his bin and wheel it in for him. True or false? Well, mate, that's what good neighbours do. Fuller would know that politically, Morrison only wants one outcome from this investigation, and that is that his minister has no case to answer. His phone call has tainted whatever the investigation finds. And Paul, do we know it was actually discussed on the phone call? Well, Fuller in his uh, doorstop interview said the Prime Minister didn't ask questions that were inappropriate. He didn't ask for anything that was inappropriate and I'm comfortable with the discussion that we had. Well, he would say that, wouldn't he? He said in the call with the Prime Minister he talked around a police statement that was released on Tuesday. That police statement revealed detectives from the State Crime Command's Financial Crime Squad had launched Strike Force Garrod to investigate the reported creation of fraudulent documentation. Now, the police commissioner said he offered no opinion to Morrison on whether the Prime Minister should stand aside Angus Taylor. But he told Morrison the complaint had been made in a well-constructed letter from Shadow Attorney General, that is the Labor Shadow Attorney General, Mark Dreyfus QC, which, uh, according to the police commissioner, went to an obscure part of the Crimes Act. Well, that was enough for Morrison to see the issue only in political terms, and that's a grave error of judgment. Sure, politics uh, are involved, but they're not the only factor. Fuller seemed all over the place, I've got to say, in the news conference. He said he didn't regard the allegations themselves are serious in terms of things he would normally stand up and talk about. But at the end of the day, he said they were public figures. And he then conceded that his highly trained computer expert police may find Taylor was involved in a crime. So for his part, Morrison told Parliament that he'd asked the commissioner directly about the investigation and how it would impact Taylor. He said he asked about the initiation, the nature and the substance of the inquiries. Now, look, why he didn't leave the phone call to his chief of staff to maybe ring the chief of staff of the police commissioner has old heads perplexed. They just can't understand why Morrison acted in this way. I mean, it's staggering. I mean, whatever happened on that call, of course that could lead to questions of impropriety. What does it tell us about Morrison's judgment and his character by extension? Well, look, it says that the Prime Minister, as has been the case in other jobs he's had, both inside politics and outside of them, especially at the Tourism Commission, he's a lone operator. He doesn't consult, he's cocksure of his own judgement and whose instinctive reaction when he's under pressure is to throw his weight around. We'll be right back. As a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. As a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. 
So, Paul, we're talking about the phone call that Scott Morrison made to the New South Wales Police Commissioner this week. How did that phone call come about? Well, it started with a letter Angus Taylor sent to the Lord Mayor of Sydney, Clover Moore, telling her that if she wanted action on climate change, she should start with her own air travel. Taylor had been upset that Moore's council had declared a climate emergency and had written off to the federal government to inform them of this. Now, in his letter, Taylor put figures claiming that the council had spent $1.7 million on international air travel and $14.2 million on domestic travel in the previous year. That is, the, you know, the, the, the councillors of Sydney. This letter was then leaked to the Daily Telegraph. And those figures, I mean, it seems almost like an impossible amount for a councillor to have spent on air travel. That's right. Look, the real figure is $1,727 on international travel and $4,206 on domestic travel. So much less, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so how do the police come to be involved? Well, Taylor's office provided the Daily Telegraph with a document when the Telegraph was under fire from Clover Moore for making these allegations. She said they're wrong and she demanded a correction. The Telegraph then went to the minister and said, what the hell's going on And virtually? Now, they provided, that is, Taylor and his office provided the paper with this document, but the figures in the document were false. Now, Taylor denies he or his office created the fraudulent document, but refuses to say where he got it. This is an outrageous accusation against me by the Labor Party. I reject absolutely the suggestion that I or any members of my staff altered the documents in question. He claims it was taken directly from the council's website, although the council's metadata evidence and public internet archives show this is simply not the case. Now, Dreyfus's submission is that the fraudulent document was created to illegally influence councillors in the exercise of their public duty. Now, that's the subject of the police investigation. I mean, they're the details of what's being investigated. What are the bigger questions here? Well, who created the document is one. And if Taylor's not protecting his own hide by refusing to say who created it, then who's he covering up for? And more to the point, why has the Prime Minister not told him to simply come clean? I mean, if it doesn't really amount to much as as the government is claiming, well, just come clean and say, well, X gave it to us and we took it at face value. This is a huge distraction now and it's the result of what was essentially a cheap shot at Clovermore. Something silly has now ended up being quite serious. What do Taylor's colleagues make of this? Well, look, Taylor's performance generally is not impressing many or most on the government backbench, certainly many I speak to. One of his colleagues says the Rhodes Scholar is, in fact, a smartass. <laughs> yeah, another one said, look, he's a dill. Um, there is criticism for him even bothering to attack Lord Mayor Clovermore in the first place. Interestingly enough, the department told the Senate estimates that it didn't write the letter. It prepared another letter for the minister to send to the Lord Mayor. That was ignored and was beefed up in the minister's own office. So the parliamentary tactics of the government are compounding, I'd like to use the Italian word, the mess, the pasticcio, and it hardly inspires confidence in Taylor. The leader of the House, Christian Porter, repeatedly shuts down any opposition attempt to debate the issue. You know, this easily leads to the conclusion that defending the trouble magnet minister is simply too hard to do, credibly. Taylor, of course, is also involved in a number of other scandals or has been in the recent past. This isn't the only one. 
Oh, that's exactly right. And that's why he's rapidly gained the reputation as being a trouble magnet, uh, certainly a bit of an albatross around the Prime Minister's neck in political terms. The Minister's left questions unanswered on the buyback of $80 million worth of water leases from a company to which he was connected. He hasn't really answered very well at all the lobbying for rezoning endangered grasslands on a property connected to his family business. He's looking, as we say, in politics embattled, and if you're looking embattled, you know you're in some sort of trouble. The Leader of the Opposition. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My question is again addressed to the Prime Minister. The Ministerial Code makes it the personal responsibility of the Prime Minister to decide whether to stand aside a minister in the exact circumstances that the Minister for Emissions Reduction finds himself in right now. Prime Minister, why is he still sitting there? When will you stand the him aside? Has concluded. Is this Morrison basically saying, I'm going to do what I want? Well, yes, uh, this is Morrison showing, I think, a dangerous hubris, if you like, that he's right and everybody else is wrong. And if the government wants to bat on, this will just hang around like a bad smell. And if anything else happens, Angus Taylor, it'll be raised again. But anyway, as I say, uh, we'll see how this plays out in the days, if not the weeks ahead. Paul, thank you so much. Thanks, Elizabeth. Bye. Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO Studio Casts, and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Elsewhere in the news, Victorians will soon pay a new tax to fund mental health after a Royal Commission found years of chronic underinvestment in the sector. Premier Daniel Andrews told Parliament that all of the recommendations in the report tabled on Thursday would be adopted, including a special tax to fund the sector similar to the state's fire services levy. And in Washington, President Donald Trump has signed into law congressional legislation backing protesters in Hong Kong in the face of angry objections from Beijing. The legislation requires the State Department to certify that Hong Kong retains enough autonomy to justify favourable US trading terms and also threatens sanctions for human rights violations. 7am is produced by Emile Klein, Ruby Schwartz, Attica Spasto and Elle Marsh with Michelle Macklem. Brian Campo mixes the show. Eric Jensen is our editor. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. This is 7am. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. See you next week. <laughs>